You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Well, good morning, Covenant Hope. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, grab it and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Yes, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so. We're going to continue in our series uh, through the letters of Thessalonians, which we have titled Hoped Shaped Holiness. If you're a guest today, we are so glad that you're here, so glad that you are worshiping with us. We normally walk through books of the Bible together because we want to know what God has to say, and we want to make sure that we encounter the living God. We don't come here just to hear. We come here to listen. It comes into our heart, and then we submit our lives to it so we can respond. And so every week, we come to hear from the God of the universe. Now, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those black-covered Bibles in front of you and turn to page 1047. And if you don't have a Bible, I please take this one with you. It's our gift to you because we want you to be able to read God's Word along with us. And as we start this morning, I don't know about you, but I grew up in the church. I was saved at seven and committed there for the, since, since then, I've been coming to church my whole life. Uh, but I would regularly have this kind of experience. I don't know if you remember the movie that came out in 2000 called Left Behind. So I would be at home and I would take a nap and everything would be great. And I would wake up and everybody would be gone. And then I would be wondering, was everybody raptured and was I just left there by myself? I was extremely nervous about that. And I would, that actually happened a lot of the time. That was where my mind would go if my parents went to the store and left me there. But that was something that I would always think about. Now, if you didn't grow up in church, you may think, well, that's kind of strange. Now, if you watch the movie Left Behind, you might think that's even more strange. And if you watched it, you might make fun of it. But the problem, maybe the, not, not on purpose, The problem with a movie like that, or even how we look at God's Word, it could cause us to have fear. It could cause us to, am I I really going to be left behind, as, as the movie might ask? But fear is not what God wants for you. Fear is not something that is natural for those who have been born and bought with the blood of Christ. Fear is not our emotion anymore. And so when we walk through these verses this morning, we're going to talk about hope. What we're going to see here is Paul encourages the church by explaining the impact of Christ's resurrection for those who have died. Now, if you're a believer today, if you're a disciple who has called the name of the Lord, trying to follow Him regularly, what should you do? What should you know today? The reality of Christ's resurrection provides certain hope and comfort for our future resurrection with all the saints. We have hope in Christ and particularly in His resurrection. As I just told you, if we misunderstand these passages, if we misunderstand the scope of history with Christ, then we could be afraid. If we misunderstand what God is doing, then we could be afraid. But if we understand it rightly, we are provided hope and comfort and joy, not concerned 
about what happens around us and not concerned with our future because we know that we will have lasting life with Christ. Now, hope is a word that's thrown around a lot today. And so let's look at the biblical definition. Right? A biblical definition of hope is this confident expectation. It's not that, well, I hope that NC State wins. That's not, that's not the, the hope. Right? The hope is that we know, we know that God is going to return. And most likely, State's going to lose next week. Right? That's what we know. That's for Pastor Ryan. But we also, it's not just that we know it, but we're, we're waiting for it. We're waiting for it. That we, not just, it actually doesn't just something that we know, it gets to our hearts, and then we actually live that way. We're awaiting what we already know is going to happen. We're anticipating this is what's going to happen. Now, let me be very clear. People have some really strong opinions on these topics that are discussed in this passage. And God is very, very pleased with us when we dig in and we try to figure out what's going on. But I think Alistair Begg helps us and he frames our minds this morning. He says it this way. The main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. Right? We must get the main point of the passage right. And then... For the details that we don't have, we don't need to argue about, we don't need to speculate about, we can hold our positions with open hands. And this is why I come to this passage with open hands, but a full heart, because I'm encouraged about what is plain here. And what's plain here is that the hope of the resurrection is our hope if we are in Christ. That's our hope today. And so what I want to do, I want to look at verse 13 together, and it's going to help us understand what Paul is doing. So look there at verse 13 with me. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Right, Paul sets up verses 13 and 18, we'll come to 18 later, as a frame to a picture. It's holding together the main point of what Paul is trying to say. It showcases the beauty of the picture of our hope in Christ. And from the start, it's very clear that Paul is speaking pastorally to this young church. Remember, this church is not very old. And it's a difficult topic. He's addressing death. But Paul isn't scolding them because they're uninformed. He just doesn't want them to stay that way. He doesn't want them to stay that way. Now, what should we be informed about? He says, those who have fallen asleep. This is a metaphor for those who have died. And it may be a metaphor for those who have died because of persecution they faced as a church. The church is awaiting Jesus' return, and as Paul taught them to do, but they are concerned and unsettled that those in their church family that have passed away, will they be left behind? Will they miss out on the glorious resurrection and the glorious return of the king. But, but Paul responds by reminding them that they do not grieve without hope. In no way do they grieve without hope. Now, in the Greek culture, it was common to dramatize grief. Not that grief was a, was a bad thing. That's not what we're saying. But Paul, Paul understands that in Greek life, it was this dramatized grief. 
And it's over-personification of it. And Paul says, we don't need to respond that way. Christians, they grieve differently. We don't just grieve without hope. We have something to look forward to. And remember, Paul has taken three chapters to describe the power of the gospel and the message that the gospel proclaims and how it has actually brought a church together. It has produced a family of people who serve the living and true God, who have a hope, and a hope so much that they are able to endure whatever comes their way. That's the gospel. But the gospel is also hope for this life and for the one to come. You see, their theology, what they know about God, they, they know God, and yet it's not going from their minds into their hearts. And so they have, they're not living what they know. They're struggling. They're letting anxiety and concern overwhelm them. Now, we talk about as a church making mature disciples, those who are following Jesus one step closer every day. And we talk about mature disciples who confess the truth of the gospel. Why? Because it's the truth of the gospel that holds us up and holds us together. That we may not waver. We may not grieve the way that those who do not know Christ grieve. But we know that the truth of the gospel is what empowers us just to live in the good times, but also the bad. And that's what Paul is saying. You've forgotten. You've, you know God. You know this, but you've forgotten and let it seep into your hearts. And so then it actually works itself out in our lives. The resurrection transforms our feelings. And church, we display the gospel in how we live. We display the gospel in how we live and particularly how we grieve. Because grieving is important. Jesus himself wept. But we do not grieve without hope. So the question still remains, where do we find this hope? Where do we go to in times of need and distress and being unsettled? Remember the definition of hope. A confident expectation. So there are two events here in these verses that I want you to see. Two events that help us hold on to our hope. Number one. Christ's resurrection and therefore our life in Him. Christ's resurrection and therefore our life in Him. Look there at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. Paul begins with a bang. He starts with, what do we believe as God's people? The only real and lasting hope for the world is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, if that is true then what follows is true. Paul builds his argument on the resurrection of Jesus. And the Christian faith is not just some self-help. It's not just some rules to follow. It's not some fairy tale. No, it is first and foremost about the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is grounded and founded in the life, death, burial, and then resurrection of Jesus. Church, understand what we believe about the second coming of Jesus is directly tied to what we believe about his first coming, that he was raised from the grave. And Paul, he roots like a tree, roots our hope and comfort in the whole truth of the resurrection. He roots it in that comfort. 
And this isn't a 10-year-old tree that's being, being planted. No, these are big, old oak trees. That's the kind of hope that Paul has planted himself in. It is a truth of old. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, I will crush the head of the serpent. God has been working this plan out for centuries, for thousands of years. And this is the hope that now Paul wants us to tap into. And since we believe in Jesus' resurrection, Paul says what follows is true. God will gather his people. This is what he means by God will bring with him the dead. Those who are asleep in Christ will be raised from the grave. They will not miss out. Now, what does this mean? It means that even death cannot separate us from Christ. Death cannot do anything to us because Christ has defeated death. Paul says this differently in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. He says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? And continue on to verse 35. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can afflictions or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Not even death itself can separate us if we have been raised in union with Christ. He is our hope. Paul's argument in these chapters in Romans is that if we were united with Christ in faith, we are then united in his death, and then therefore we share in his resurrection. This is a picture of baptism every time we get to do it. It's a reminder that we are united with Christ, that in faith we were buried in his death, we have given ourselves over, we have died to ourselves, but also baptism shows us the future, that we will be raised Not just for here and now, but for the future. We will walk in newness of life together. That's the picture that Paul is giving to us. Let me ask, is there anything more powerful than death? Is there anything more powerful than death that you face today? I don't think so. There's nothing more sure than death. But when we look here, what what Paul says is that it doesn't matter. It has no hold on you. You have nothing to be afraid. So whatever you are facing, it cannot separate you from Christ. He is for us. If you are anxious this morning, if you are fearful this morning, if you are depressed this morning, may you reflect on the truth here in Romans 8 and in 1 Thessalonians. That even death, and if therefore not death can't do anything to you, then there's nothing in this life that can do anything to harm you. The hope of the gospel is able to shine a light in even the darkest of places. If you are struggling this week with those things, reflect on these verses. Read them. Meditate on them. Because God is for you. And He loves you. Now, Paul, he continues, those who have died in this world will not be forgotten. They're not going to be abandoned. In the fact, they will be first. Right? How does Paul know this? Look at verse 15. For we say this to you by word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not perceive those who have fallen asleep. Paul explains we, that those who are still alive, will not perceive those who have died. 
Right? Paul says that the dead will be summoned first out of their graves. They will absolutely not be excluded from this event. They will experience the resurrection with their Savior. Do not worry about those who have gone before you. They will not miss out. And Paul founds his assurance and ours on a word from the Lord. Now, now there are a couple ways for us to interpret what does Paul mean here. I think there's two options. He could be saying that Jesus has revealed this to him as an apostle. We know that Jesus showed himself fully to the apostle Paul. So that, that wouldn't be strange. Or maybe Paul is summing up Matthew 23, 24, and in some other places. Maybe that's what he means by a word from the Lord. I think that it doesn't matter. What he does is he founds it. He founds the hope of the resurrection on God's word. That's the important part. Why? Because this is how God has revealed himself. God is a revealing God. And he does that, yes, in creation. We know that it's beautiful. But he reveals most about himself in his word, which is why we come every week and we learn from God's word. This has to be the foundation of our belief. Because if it's not, then other things can begin to vie for that authority in our lives. Paul says it's the word of the Lord that he knows this is true. right? And the resurrection of Christ provides a different perspective. The resurrection of Jesus shows us that the way we live now is different. So how do we view our own lives here? How do we view our lives here? Do we understand that it's only God who gives us life? We talked this morning during our equip hour with the adults that Israel was going after different gods. And they thought that what they were getting from them was actually true. What God says, no, no. No, what you give to them as offerings, I'm the one that's been giving that to you. And so what are the things that are vying for our attention? What are the things that we're giving ourselves to? Because God is the only one that's providing it for us. He's the only one who is able to give it to us. So if you are trying to find life in anything else today, if you're not a believer, let me be very clear. You will not find life apart from God and apart from Jesus Christ. We want, there's no way to do it. And so church, as Christians, as people who are maturing in their faith, we must say, what are the things in my life that are trying to rip life away from me? What am I feeding that's actually an idol or actually death? We must give it away and give it to the Lord. How do we view life? Do we view it in a way that it's only God who gives it to us? But secondly, how do we view death? Are we, are we afraid of death? Are we scared of it? Do we think about it too much? Are we anxious about it? We, could, we can view death, it can have a negative influence in our lives. But there's a second way to think about death in a way that it is what's controlling us. If we're afraid of death, if we are a people just categorized by the fear of death, I am afraid that we will not have people who will say, I will give my life somewhere overseas for the sake of the gospel. If fear is what is controlling us, if we are afraid of death, then we may not be a people who go. We may not be a people who sacrifice our own lives because we are fearful of death. And lastly, does does the certainty of death actually provide urgency for the lost in our hearts? If we know death is coming, and we know that the only cure to that death is the gospel of Jesus, are we actually urged together to reach the lost? 
Do we actually lay down our lives and our preferences and anything else that we want to see people come to faith in Jesus? Because it's the only thing that matters. Do we give ourselves over for the law so that they may know Christ? Or are we apathetic? Do we care enough? Church, may God break us of our comfortability and may He break us of that everything's just okay because it's not for people who do not know Christ. May we be pushed knowing that the resurrection is yes for us, but it's also for anyone who will call on the name of the Lord. It's Christ's resurrection that provides life to us, giving us hope and a hope that we get to offer to others. But still, when will we be resurrected with Christ? How will we be resurrected with Christ? Well, the second event helps us understand that. Christ's return and therefore our life with Him. Christ's return and therefore our life with Him. Look there at verse 16. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Paul now explains the resurrection, how it's going to take place. And he talks about how what precedes this and what initiates our resurrection. The phrase, the Lord will descend from heaven, it focuses our attention on the central figure of the event. Because it's not us. It's Jesus. And we look to him. And also to the event that he is coming down to us. This isn't about us or the angels or anything else that's happening in the moment. It's about Christ and his return. This is about the Messiah returning for his people. This is a Messiah providing the hope that he said he would give. And remember, church, the Bible is about Jesus from the beginning to the end. It's a testimony to Christ. That's what Jesus says in Luke 24 to his disciples. Have you not read? Do you not know the writings and the prophets and the law? Do you not know that they testify to me? What we believe about the first coming is what we believe about the second coming. So God's story has been written. It's in stone. We know it. It is sure. And I want you to notice how we know the Lord is returning here. Look back down at verse 16. It says, The Lord will descend with a shout. The return of Jesus Christ will be on full display in all His power and His glory. There will be a great noise, and it's described in a couple ways. The archangel's voice. Remember, angels play a role here. But also with the trumpet of God. Let me be very clear, church. The return of Jesus will be no secret. You can't get away from it, and you can't hide from it. Jesus is coming, and the whole world is going to know that he is here. Now, during this glorious return of the Messiah, there's something that accompanies him. right? The rise of of the dead, but particularly the dead in Christ. These are the people of God who have died before Christ has returned. Now, what Paul isn't saying is that we're, the dead are waiting for Christ now to return. No, that's not what he's saying. He says in other places that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay, so they're not waiting in the graves. Somehow the Lord is able to put them back together as he knit us anyways and rise them from the grave. But also know that this resurrection is both body and spirit. We believe in a resurrection that's not just good for our souls, but it's good for our bodies because God has made all of this. And so the dead bodies in the ground will be raised out of the grave. They will rise first. They will 
join Christ in a physical resurrection right out of their graves. And again, they will not miss out. The church family that they had lost, they will not miss out on this event. There has never been such a grander or more beautiful or magnificent event in all of history. When Christ returns for his people, it's going to be something to behold. Now look at verse 17. Then we who are still alive, who are left, we call up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now then, what he means by what happens next is the people of God, those who are left, those who believe, will be caught up with Christ and those who have been raised from the dead. Now, this is a gathered upwards to meet and to welcome Christ. This is done by God. This is not anything we do. We can only go at His command. And it's this verse that we get this common word or idea that's used in Christianity. By this word, rapture. Or the word is actually Latin. It's not in the original language. But what it means is it means to gather up. And as I told you before, we have folks in the room who hold to different beliefs about the end times. And that's okay. That's okay. Some people like to emphasize the word rapture and what it means for our future. But remember, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. Here's what we have to agree on. We believe that Christ was raised bodily. Right? We believe that Jesus is returning bodily. We believe that Jesus will then rise and raise us from the grave with him. And then Jesus will then judge all people. That's what we have to believe. And really, I just, I just gave you our statement of faith. There's details in there that we don't have, details that we may disagree on. But here's the deal. It's counterintuitive, but true. One way to protect sound doctrine is to give ample room for Christian freedom. The way that we protect the doctrine of Christ's return is that we don't harp on the things that we don't know for sure. And we leave ample room for us to disagree and to have fun conversations about. But at the end of the day, what we know is that Christ is returning bodily. And that impacts us. We don't need to make unessential things the core piece of the doctrine. Because then what do we do? We move the core piece of the doctrine over here. And we begin to miss the actual hope. And so we must be careful to always hold on to things that are plain and that are main. And church, let me also be very clear. If you see a rapture here, that's not the hope that Paul presents. It's not the hope that Paul presents. The hope is not that we would have taken away from all the suffering that we have experienced. It's been all around us. In fact, I think Paul has made the opposite argument in the book of 1 Thessalonians. He says to continue. Press on, despite the opposition, despite the persecution. Press on through the suffering. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Church, the hope is not that we're going to be raptured away, but hope, our hope is found to be resurrected with Christ and to be with Him forever. That's our hope. It's not that we're taken away, but that we are with Him and resurrected with Him together. It is our resurrection in Christ that provides our future relationship with Him. All right, look back at the end of verse 17 with me. What is Paul's focus? That we will be with the Lord always. We don't know all the details and how this is going to work or what this will look like, but we will be with Him. 
after we've met the Lord in the sky, we don't have those details on where we're going up or down, maybe on earth, maybe in heaven. The point here is that we will be in the presence of Christ. We will be with Him. Our hope is not that we're going somewhere, but who we're going with. The hope is not that we're going somewhere, it's who we're going with. Heaven is much less about a place and much more about a person. That we are with God forever and that we have a relationship with Him. And church, when we talk about the gospel, may we not paint a picture of heaven that doesn't have Christ in it. Because it doesn't matter if those streets are gold and the gates are pearly and our family is there. It does not matter. Only thing that matters is if it's God is there. And may we present a heaven that's about God and about His beauty and about our relationship with Him. We often speak about our futures as getting away from this world. Right? And that is understandable because we feel the brokenness all around us. But in our efforts to explain and provide hope in the gospel, we must focus on the true light of heaven and particularly on the glories of Christ. The return of Christ is an event that secures our hope. We do not have to worry. And it provides everlasting life with us, with Christ. And our futures are sure as we await His return and therefore our resurrection. And as I said, as we start in verse 13, we come now to verse 18. It's the other part of the picture frame. And it helps us display, helps us understand the beauty, the picture that we just talked about. So look at verse 18. It says, therefore encourage one another with these words. What are we to do with this information? We are to encourage one another. When we speak the gospel to one another, we strengthen, we comfort one another. But what if, what if we don't respond this way? Well, a broken frame can no longer be displayed. A broken frame cannot display a picture it holds, and the pictures that are not displayed are often forgotten. You can probably think of the pictures that you have stored in boxes. Do you really remember those pictures? Do you really, you're not able to think about them, remember them, think on the memories that you had with them. In the same way, when we forget these truths and the reality of the resurrection, if it's lost on us, it will cause fear. It will cause hopelessness. Or maybe potentially even faithlessness. May we not lose our faith in Christ because we are actually encouraging one another. That's Paul's aim here. When the Word of God is preached and received, it does a powerful work in us. But you, we, have a job to do. We have a job to do. Because when we hear God's Word, then we're called to encourage one another with it. We're called to help each other. When we speak these truths to each other, we encourage and comfort one another. Think about it this way. Think if this building was just a big old pinball machine. For those of you under the age of about 20, you may not know what a pinball machine is. But what a pinball machine is, you pull the lever and it shoots a ball and it bounces off of different things. And you're trying to get points. You're trying to bounce it off and get the high score. But if this was just a big pinball machine, if you think about the ball, and if we just painted it, you know, with really fresh paint, and then it bounces off of that machine, what's it going to do? It's going to leave paint marks, right? Well, in the same way, the Word of God is the pinball that's released into our lives. 
And then when we begin to speak about it to one another, it begins to bounce, and the paint begins to rub off on each other. And so now we're marked with God's Word. And if you're a painter, you know that getting paint, dry paint off is, is not that easy. And so what happens is we begin to be coated with God's Word so that we may endure, so that we may have hope, so that we may have comfort in the gospel. In church, when one of us loses the job, when one of our parents are in the hospital, when we get the news of cancer, we can speak hope through the resurrection to one another. Whatever God has for us, His Word comforts us and He welcomes us in and we're strengthened. But let me also make this point. That now, some of you may say, life is really good. Life is really good. When God's word is bouncing off of us and onto you during those days, may we build each other up for the hard times. May we build each other up for the times that are difficult. Because God's word is the only thing that we're going to be able to fall back on. And so may we imitate a pinball machine. And may the word of God be bounced so often around us that it just it spews out of us. That the paint is just oozing of the word of God out of, out of this church. When we preach the, God's word and we speak God's word to each other, it shapes what we believe. And what we believe about the future should shape how we live in the present. Not without hope. Not with fear, but with comfort. We do not have to be afraid, and we do not have to be unsettled. Our hope is that Christ has done what he said he's done. Our hope hinges on the beautiful idea that God has entered into the world, into the mess, into the brokenness. Not only that, he gave his life for you and me that the God of the universe would think to come into this brokenness to pay our sin and to pay our debt and to give everything for us, to leave heaven for you and me. That's the beauty of the gospel, but it doesn't stop there. Because three days later, he was, he was raised from the grave. And if Christ was raised from the grave, then everything is going to be okay. Whatever you're going through today, Whatever this week or the last few weeks has brought to you, if Christ has been raised from the grave, everything is going to be okay. We don't know how that's going to work, but we can trust Him. Pray with me. God, you are in control of all things. And I, in the midst of, of how short sighted my hope can be, May we be a people who are characterized by the hope of the resurrection. That we aren't a people who are afraid. We're not a people who are anxious. We're not a people who, who are worried about the future or, or our, our, even our own church family. God, would the hope of the resurrection so be ingrained in us that we have joy despite whatever trials come our way. May we trust in you. May the down payment, not just Christ paying for our sins, but 
Christ being raised from the grave, would that be a down payment for us to have hope? For us to believe? And for us to endure? God, we need you so desperately. We can't continue. We can't go on. It is in the life of Jesus that we only find strength. So God, may these words encourage us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.